Welcome to Traveled, where we take a journey to a specific region so you discover what makes this part of the world so unique. Before we get rolling with our guest this week, I wanted to share the love with our Traveled sponsor. This podcast is powered by Swing Outdoors, the Wet Fly Swing Podcast, and Yellowstone Teton Territory. Please head over to wetflyswing.com slash Teton to connect with the great brands that make up this amazing region of the country. Let's do it. Let's jump in and find out where that road less traveled is going to lead us today. How are you doing, Sam? Very well, Dave. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, thanks for coming on here. I also want to thank you for letting me use uh, one of your boats. We had our Euro school trip here this year and I was out. I was lucky enough to float, take one of your hide boats out. And I mean, for me, I love fishing, but I love boating almost as much. So it was a pleasure uh, using the boat. So I want to talk about the boats, what you do, what Miller Drift Boats is and all that. But first, let's get into fly fishing. How did you first get into fly fishing? What's your first memory? Ooh, okay. Well, we're taking it way back then. My very first memory of fly fishing. So I grew up in South Dakota and I grew up in Sioux Falls. Oh, wow. Not a hot place for fly fishing, right? No, nope, not a whole lot of fly fishing going on out there. And I, you know, didn't even hardly know what it was. No one in my family really does it. But there was a, a place there called the Outdoor Campus where they take really people of all ages, but mostly it's for kids and the goal is to get them outside. And so, and that that's what I love, you know, just being outside and fishing and hunting. So I was there as much as I could. And then when I got older, I actually ended up volunteering there quite a bit. So my very first memory was taking the fly fishing class there where you go and you, they give you a little vice and they're going to teach you how to tie a little fly. And I don't remember what fly it was, but after that, we took our fly rods and we went out to the pond that they have there. That's got bluegill and some big old bass in it. So my first memory of fly fishing was, I was probably eight years old standing on the banks of that pond trying to cast and you know, as an eight-year-old with little instruction in a group of kids, it's it's not super easy to cast. And so that wasn't working out. So I went over to the dock and I stood on the dock and then I just dipped my fly on the top of the water and kept hooking all these little bluegill. And then I noticed as soon as I did that, that six-pound bass were trying to eat them. No way. So That's cool, yeah. I'm ashamed to admit it, but my first fly fishing experience was me trying to use live bait basically. Right, right. That's okay though. I think <laughs> it was a good time either way. I think any of us have had that moment. I've I've got one of those actually in high school, which is pretty funny, but oh, yeah. I, I probably shouldn't admit this. But um but it's one of those things where we were out there and uh it was like a stonefly hatch. Okay. And it was a crazy stonefly hatch and the bugs and they were not eating our uh, our our stonefly or imitation. But, but if you put on a, uh, you know, a live bug, it would take it. So I don't have to tell the rest of the story, but you know, live, <laughs> live yeah. bait works just like yeah. live fish or live bugs. But, um, you know, it's funny because, you know, you think about fishing, it can get like that, right. To a point where sometimes, man, you just want to catch that fish. Well, well what did you take? It was that, it was, I mean, you were an eight year old kid. So it's a different deal there. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's why we like fly fishing now, right. Is that it is frustrating and it's more of a challenge. I always like to tell people, Fly fishing is not the way to catch more or bigger fish, but it's the best way to catch fish. If you have to choose one way to do it, that's the most fun way, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's why we do it. We love it. So, 
Awesome. So that's eight. So you start young in South Dakota. How do you eventually work your way? You're, you're in, um, you know, you're out west a little further now. How'd you get yourself out, out west? So I went to college at BYU Idaho in Rexburg, which is a great place to learn to fly fish, right? It's smack dab in the middle of a whole bunch of awesome fly fishing. And so I was there going to school and I decided, that, you know, it was time to get back into fishing. I, I grew up fishing quite a bit and I loved it and it'd been a long time since I'd really gone after it. And so I decided, man, there's so many rivers around here. I'm just going to start fishing. So that actually started out me and a few of my friends. We just, you know, got our fishing poles and we were using crankbaits and things like that, you know, just spinning gear. And so we'd go out and we'd work hard for fish. And then at one point we're there at a certain place on Henry's fork. And there's two or three of us there fishing. And then we see this boat pull up and those guys are just catching fish after fish after fish. I was like, what in the world? What are they doing differently? We're not doing. And so we watched them for a while and then we could see, oh man, those guys are fly fishing and they, and it was springtime. And I have no idea what flies they were using, but, but that kind of started all of us down the path of, we need to figure out what that is because that looks like way more fun than what we're doing. And so, so after that day, me and a few of my friends, we just went all in on fly fishing and it only takes, you know, a few days where you'd really have your flies dialed in and you're catching fish after fish and your arms get tired. And then you're kind of hooked after that. Right. So you had that experience. So you had a, you got into it and we're catching a bunch of fish on the fly. Yeah. I mean, it it wasn't that easy. Right. And I had some relapses where I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to fly fish anymore. I'm just going back to my spinning gear. But now it's kind of the opposite. Now I hardly ever use spinning gear and mostly I just fly fish. Yeah, that's right. Because you're in that spot. I mean, the Henry's Fork, definitely. Yeah. When you chose Rexburg, did you have any idea you were going into the Henry's Fork and those famous rivers? No idea whatsoever. I was just lucky. <laughs> yeah, really, truly lucky in a life-changing way, I would say. Yeah, that's really cool. That's part of our Euro school. I was, when we were setting that up, I was thinking, hey, where's, you know, the best place? I'm always thinking about that, that we can go and that part of Idaho and really that part of the West is is just amazing. So many waters, but so cool. So you got this going, now you're, you're a fly angler and then the Miller boat came a little bit later. When did, when did that happen? Because you have this company where people can rent drift boats, which is a pretty awesome idea. It worked great for us. Um, I'm sure a lot of people use this service. When did the Miller boats come to be? So it came to me about two years ago. And so what happened was I just, I saw that there was so many, so much opportunity on the river for people to catch more fish, right? Cause I myself had waded all up and down, especially Henry's fork, the South fork too, a little bit, but also, you know, the fall river and the Teton. And I, I just saw that there's so many, you can access so much more water with a boat. And I thought, man, people really need to know about this. They need to have this opportunity. And so what happened was I started my own drift boat rental company with just my one little fly craft. And then I was just doing some research on the competition. And so I called up Miller Drift Boat just to get to know him. And they said that they were closed for the season. So I talked to the owner and I said, well, why are you guys closed? And he said, well, I didn't get a fish at all last summer and I'm old. So I want to sell this company and, you know, get to fish more. Wow. And so I thought, okay, well, that's kind of perfect. So 
that that started me down the the path of purchasing that company from him and then i just combined that with the one that i had started previously and now it's miller drift boats Mm, there you go and miller drift boats this is good and the miller drift boats is pretty awesome because the what was the logo set up um before you got on or is that how it's always been yeah yeah so he must have had who who was the previous owner his name was mike baloo Mike Blue, yeah, and, and Mike had it looks like the it, almost like the Miller uh, beer, right? Yeah, it looks like a similar yeah. logo. Is it is it kind? Of, it's based on that, right? It potentially is. I haven't asked him. <laughs> you haven't asked him. Okay, no. that's what it looks like. But um, so you now are the owner of Miller Drift Boats, and so describe what it is you guys do. If somebody is out there heading out that part of the world, um, how does it work? Um, because I'd imagine there's some problem. I mean, we did see, we'll put a link in the show notes, to the video we talked beforehand about this, but there, there's this video that I think Mike or somebody did uh, about pulling a drift boat out of the middle of the river. It was stuck, yeah. it was swamped yeah. upside down. It looked super dangerous. Whoever was doing that, I mean, that mm-hmm. was sketchy, but, yeah. um, so, t- so talk about how you avoid people flipping and then how the whole process works. Okay. So most of the time what happens is people call me up and they're either have their trip and they decided, Hey, we're going to go do this many days on this river and this many days on this river. Or maybe they just show up randomly and they're like, Hey, we just want to drift boat for one day. We're just going to go hang out. So I usually, I hesitate to say this cause I don't know if it's going to sound believable, but I care deeply whether or not people have a good time. And so, so I really do my best to work hard and make sure that if they're fishing, that they're going to catch fish and that they're pointed in the right direction. So a lot of times that looks like me giving them flies, even though, you know, we're not a fly shop. We just rent drift boats and rafts, but I'll give people flies or I'll say, Hey, let me look at your fly box and I'll show you what, what I've been catching on lately. So nice. So catch some fish. And part of that is because yeah, I want them to have a good time. So they come back. But the other part is I have been on, all kinds of DIY fishing trips myself. And I've had people do that to me. Like in Alaska, you go into the fly shop and some guy, you know, really takes care of you and says, Hey, use this fly, go try this place. When you want more of a challenge, go try this place. And they, they give you that good local knowledge. I try my best to do that for everyone without sending, you know, sending them all to the busiest places on the river. But I also ask them, how experienced are you with steering a drift boat? Have you been in one, you know, on big water or through rapids or things like that? And I think for the most part, people are pretty honest about that. So sometimes they say, wow, I've never been on a drift boat. And I say, that's no problem. I've got places that you can go where it's, you know, flat water. There's not going to be deadfall in the river. There's no rapids. It's a great place to learn. And so I'll send them there. Other people say, I'm very experienced on a drift boat. I you know, want to go target some big fish. I want to get away from people. And there's even more opportunities for that. So I think a lot of people, they, they look at the Henry's Fork and the South Fork and they say, they might, well, depending on what month they visit, they might say, man, that place is busy. It's crowded. And that, that is true. You know, if you're fishing Henry's Fork in June for salmon flies, it's going to be crowded if you go to the crowded places. But everywhere on all of Idaho's rivers, there's places to get away from people and to feel like you're not, you know, bumping into people waiting or other boats all down the river. Yeah. You, can, you can feel like you're by yourself. Yeah, that's right. And, and we saw that too. I mean, 
I think a lot of people, part of the reason we went in October, you know, early October, because, um, you know, Pete Erickson was like, hey, this is a good time to avoid some of those, you know, yeah. the traffic. And the weather was great. I mean, we had, I think, a rain the last day when I met you, uh-huh. dropping the boat off. I think it was blowing like 50 balls an yeah. hour and stuff. But other than that, I mean, it was a great, we had great weather. And, um, and the, you know, the boat ramps, for sure, the South Fork were, there were lots of people. But once you got on the water, you know, it wasn't that bad. And then same with the Henry's Fork, we floated a section that, you know, there were some boats out there. We saw the, um, saw the Trout Hunter. They were out there definitely. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't like as crazy as you hear, you know, you hear like, yeah. wow, it's going to be just sh- shoulder to shoulder. And so, I don't know, I think the experience maybe from social media, it makes it sound worse than it is. But do you feel that way too, that there are, like you say, there's places, plenty of places on all the famous rivers to get, get your spot? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially if you're willing to put in a little bit more sweat or if you're willing to go earlier or later. So like last weekend I was fishing the South Fork and there was almost no one out there. Oh, wow. And we had a great day catching big old fish. And the weather is a little more hit and miss this time of year, but, but yeah, we had a great day. The weather was perfect. And I was, and I can't believe more people don't fish in November. November. But yeah, because we're early, we're basically early first week of November right now. So it's, uh, and when does that, when do you, or when are people, you know, like as far as your business, I know you're kind of slowing things down, but um, are you fishing through into like December? Yeah. I mean, so for me personally, I'll fish until my guides start freezing. And then after that, it's, it's a little bit harder to get me out there. But if people want to go fish, I'll still rent them boats all through the winter. Oh, you will. Okay. So somebody calls you up and they can go, like we said at the start, the uh, MillerDriftBoats.com. Any time of the year, really, they can call you. And even if, if there's a good day, a d- good week, you, they could get a boat. Yeah. And I've had some of my best days, you know, in the middle of winter, if you get one of those weird days where it's above freezing, man, you can just catch a whole bunch of fish and it's a great time. Right on. So let's just, so people, we don't miss that as far as, you know, if they're listening now, they might be planning a trip out that way. Talk about the area. So how far out can people go? I mean, cause we're talking about this area of kind of Eastern Idaho, but are, are people able in other States around the West able to use your service or how far do you go? Yeah. So most of the customers that come to me, they're, they're either fishing the South Fork or the Henry's Fork and probably a little bit more Henry's Fork. There's also a good amount that will come up from Utah or Arizona, and they're just on their way to the Madison in Montana. So they'll stop by and pick up a boat and go fish the Madison. But I mean, I don't really mind if people, I had one guy ask if he could take a boat down to the Green River and I was like, yeah, it's totally fine. So I guess we're, we're more located for yeah Eastern Idaho and montana but if people want to get crazy then then i can work with them if they want to go really far really far okay and then how does that work i'm sure this is just an insurance thing and i'm thinking about that boat that's upside down or really anything you think of rental cars you know i always go back to the the rental car people driving rental cars i sure i'm sure most of them aren't or some people aren't taking real good care of the car as far as right it's not their own car do you find that that's an issue for you you on your boats? Are they getting banged up? I mean, I'm not sure. Are these high drift boats, fiberglass, pretty, can they run into rocks? Or are you finding people coming back with dings and maybe even holes? No holes so far. I mean, the hides are one of like the most bulletproof boats out there. 
And so you have to do something pretty horrible to them to, to put a hole in it. Okay. But yeah, every once in a while people come back with, with dings, but yeah, so far no damage. So on the Hyde, talk about that a little bit, because I think Hyde is one of those companies that I've been wanting to connect with for a while. We we did a little drift boat series quite a while back where we covered some of the big brands that are out there. And, and Hyde is one that I, I had I didn't talk to. But talk about why Hyde and, uh, and talk about the boat, because that boat I rode was totally different than the drift boat I have. I have a Koffler aluminum boat, you know, out here. And it's for a different purpose, but that Hyde being able to get in and out, super easy, low profile, is that unique for Hyde or are there other boats doing a similar thing? As far as I know, there's other boats that also do low profile, but what sets Hyde apart is they started out making airplanes, right? So Lemoyne Hyde, who, if you go down to Hyde, he's usually there and you can talk to him and he'll tell you all about the history of Hyde. Well, if I'm not mistaken, he was a crop duster and then he started making crop dusters himself out of fiberglass. And so, and he also loved to fish. So then he started making drift boats. And what sets Hyde apart also is that they make their drift boats. Man, I don't want to sound like an idiot here, but they, the best way I can explain it and they can explain it a lot better is they do it. It's one solid piece. Whereas other drift boat companies that I know of, they basically get a mold and just spray in the fiberglass. And so it's, it's a lot thinner and it breaks a lot easier. And so, and I've, I've been down to hide and they've showed me, you know, Hey, this boat was on the bottom of the river, the bottom of the South fork for a week, just getting smashed against rocks and flooded it. And it definitely did not break the fiberglass. It'll break everything else in the boat before it breaks the bottom of the fiberglass. Wow. So crazy. Like there's aluminum for your, your leg stands, you know, that you fish out of that was totally bent over and the fiberglass was just fine. I shouldn't say just fine. I mean, you could tell it was rubbing against a rock, but it was sure. floated perfectly. But it wasn't collapsed. It wasn't like, no. it's funny you say that because, you know, on our river over here, we do see a lot of aluminum boats and some, I've seen lots upside down. And what happens with those is typically once they go under and flip, a lot of times they'll lose their structural integrity and they'll just tin can yeah. and just, right. And that's so, that's amazing to think fiberglass is actually more durable than, than aluminum, which I guess makes sense a little bit. Yeah. And Matt Hyde, who kind of runs the show down there at Hyde now, he thinks that I shouldn't even rent out rafts because in his opinion, you can do everything in a drift boat that you could do in a raft. And so I usually tell him, you know, if I have a new customer that, has never been in a drift boat before, I'll almost always send them in a raft first because a raft is a much better way to learn. You can bounce off rocks and yeah, yeah, that's know, it. slam into whatever you want. You're not going to hurt the raft. But it's his opinion that, well, if you're in a drift boat and you're headed towards a rock, it's a lot easier to just do a couple backstrokes and get away from that rock. Yeah. <laughs> drift boat, which is true. The high is handle like a sports car, whereas a, a raft might be a little bit more of a it is true thing to row yeah i know i agree i think it is true that and i see what he's saying i i kind of disagree a little bit too i i'm more because i've run lots of rafts and mm -hmm. yeah i mean the drift boat yeah if you if you square it broadside t-bone or or come you know with a rock you yeah. could pin your boat but a raft you could get stuck and spin off and they, they're a lot more forgiving for sure right. you can run into stuff but um but i also think that um 
you know, I mean, I love the drift boat because it's so nimble. I mean, mm -hmm. like I, I know on my boat, I've, like I said, I've got a big, a 17 foot Koffler and we just got back from our deer trip and we were loaded. I had my whole family in it. We had two deer on the front. Nice. We had, you know, six days of gear. I mean, we were so, but the Koffler, the way he makes it, you know, shout out to Joe out there is his boat is made for gear. In fact, he says, put as much gear, the more gear, the better it floats. Okay. And so I'll, I'll pack it in a little more on the bow. And so we're going through some class three and four rapids and the thing is just nimble and it, it floats yeah. awesome. You know what I mean? So that's a drift boat. If I had a raft with that same weight, it would be a slug. It'd be a tank yeah. floating down the river, right? Yeah. Unless there's, there's probably also some rafts. Let, let, let me not rip out all the rafts. I'm sure there's some designs out there that, are, that have, that are made for it too. But just on my little experience, that's what I would take. Is that, do you think that's true for, for the drift boats too? Yeah. And as far as the rafts go, it's the same thing. You know, you can get big rafts that you can put a ton of stuff in, but then there's also smaller rafts like the Flycraft, and that thing handles really smoothly. And, you know, it is much more nimble than a bigger raft would be. Oh, right. The Flycraft. Yeah. Right on. So this is good. So I think we got a little summary of, and in the Hyatt history, I would love to hear that. Hopefully I can get them on the podcast to hear that directly from them. But it sounds like you basically, your drift boats are hides. Is that what you run? You don't have any other brands? Yeah. As far as drift boats go, we just do hide. And part of that is because I, it's a great boat. The other part is they're, they're local here in Idaho Falls and they're just super nice guys that they'll take care of anybody that comes in. Plus there's no, like, there's not really a gatekeeper there. You know what I mean? You can walk in and say, Hey, can I talk to Lemoyne Hyde, the guy who started Hyde? And he'll probably talk to you all day long. You'll be there. Yeah. That's so awesome. And, and I'm hoping to, uh, like I said, do that as well. Uh, so on the high, let, let's talk about features a little bit on the mm -hmm. boats. So those people, I'm sure lots of people in your area know what these boats look like, but talk about the high, cause I remember a couple things that were really cool. Um, you know, it was really comfortable sitting in the seat and the back person that was in the standup race, it was kind of elevated, all that. So what do you think are the key features that make that boat you guys have? And are they all kind of the same profiles at the same exact boat that you rent? Almost all of them are the same that I have. So we do, so most of them are hide, low side, Pro Series XL is what they're called. Okay, that's what it is. So somebody, and we'll put a link in the show notes to that. It's called, um, say say that again, hide uh, Pro Series? Hide Pro Series XL. Okay. And it's the low profile one. And so I, I would only probably run low profile on the rivers around here because if I'm going to do anything with big rapids, then I'm going to take a raft anyway. But, but yeah, why I like the hides is first of all, the leg locks, it's unique to hide and it's, I don't know how to describe this. It's like a four leaf clover, but a three leaves. And so where other leg locks, it's just kind of round and you'd stand in it. This one has three different places to lock your legs. So if you're facing to the left or the right, it locks your legs in better than if it was just round. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. We, we noticed that and aim where you want to, rather than having to like, you know, twist your torso to shoot to the right or left. So I do like that a lot. So we've got a few of those. We also have one aluminum boat. That's the same thing. It's just made out of aluminum. Yeah. And so why aluminum? That was one question I had for Hyde. So it seems like a lot of boats are either aluminum or they're fiberglass or they're wood or they're whatever. Why, why does Hyde have aluminum? You know, that's a great question. You probably have to ask them. I still don't know what the advantage of aluminum is over fiberglass. I've had a few customers request the aluminum one because they think it's stronger. 
stronger. Which maybe it is, but I feel like unless you're doing something real crazy, the fiberglass is going to take great care of you. Yeah, we'll have to have a, that'd be a great episode to bring somebody on who is the expert on aluminum yeah. versus the fiberglass. Because it feels like fiberglass is, you know, it, it seems it's quieter. It seems like it, it, it's maybe it's yeah. warmer. It's warmer. I don't know if that's true. You know, there's some of these things. But either way, fiberglass, aluminum, I mean, they're they're both good. But yeah, so okay. And the, the braces are big too. Like you said, we noticed mm-hmm. that on the boat. It was awesome. And then we also have a Montana skiff, which for those that have used it, it's oftentimes their favorite boat. And the reason for that is you can stand in the very front of the boat. So most drift boats, the bow is pointy, right? And so it creates a few feet of space between you and the very front of the boat. The Montana skiff is a smaller version and it's shorter in the front. So the reason people like that one is because if you're fishing out of the front of that boat, you can be right on top of the fish. There's, you know, they like to say there's nothing between you and the fish. And so that one is a, it's a little bit smaller boat, still good for three people, but you can get it into some tight spaces too, if you need to. Yeah. Okay. So that's the biggest thing with removing that point is it just gets you kind of more above the water, kind of right on the action. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, and the back too is, uh, well, I guess the back square, uh, flat in all of the other boats too. So you got that. And, uh, and like you said, the brace is nice too. I know, notice as the rowing frame, you know, with that seat was comfortable, but you could also lean back on the, um, the standing platform be- or the brace yeah. behind you. Right. So yeah. you just, yeah, it was easy to take a nap if you wanted to. And, um, some other features, the rod holders, which was, was nice. You could put your extra mm-hmm. rods in, protected right in the sleeve there. Yeah. I also appreciate they, they make the bottom flat. So wherever you're standing in the boat, you have something flat to stand on. You know, oh, right. standing at something that's beveled and you're going to slide to the middle. And it also, if you have, you know, any less than two inches of water in the boat, you're not standing in the water. Even if you're the rower and you're in the lowest part of the boat, you don't have water, you know. Oh, no kidding. Oh, the water's down below. Yeah. Unless, of course, you're in like heavy rain and then you have to just bail some water out or for some reason you got a wave over the bow or something like that. But yeah. Yeah. For most wow. relaxed floats, it's just super comfortable because you're not standing in the water. Today's episode is sponsored by Eastern Idaho's Yellowstone Teton Territory, Idaho's most renowned zone for fly fishing, from the Henry's Fork to the South Fork of the Snake, and all the high alpine lakes and streams in between. Yellowstone Teton Territory provides anglers and other outdoor enthusiasts with all the information they need to plan their next big trip. You can visit wetflyswing.com slash Teton right now to get the full list of outfitters, lodges, fly shops, and all kinds of inspiration to get you started on your next trip to Eastern Idaho. That's Teton, T-E-T-O-N, wetflyswing.com slash Teton. Nice. So, so that gives a little rundown. Like we said, um, this is easy. Just call you up, MillerDriftBoats.com if people want to find out more and get a boat. Um, mm-hmm. But talk about that. I'm just curious because on that flipping thing, was that something when Mike was running the company, that boat that was upside down and they flipped it? Um, and have you had any other stories of, of that happening, of people dump boats? So, you know, I try and, like I said, I want to make sure people have a good time and part of that safety. So, so I really do my best to gauge whether or not they're going to flip a boat or, you know, whether they know what they're doing and recommend where they go. And I haven't had to do it yet, but there's been times where I've considered saying like, well, no, I, 
I'm not going to rent you a boat if you're going to go to this place. But most of the time, people's self-preservation kicks in. And so if they're a brand new angler, they don't want to go to the lower stretches of the South Fork with their drift boat, you know, where that's, there's turns and dead trees, and things like that. So as far as that, that one flip goes, that is in a section called Cardiac Canyon. Oh, wow. That's a Mesa Fall. They mentioned something about Mesa Falls. Yeah. So right below Lower Mesa Falls. And which river is this? This is the Henry's Fork. Oh, wow. So this is up, um, wow, Cardiac Canyon. So where is this from, say, I'm trying to think of where we put in, but um, give us a landmark. Where would this be from a town? Um, so Ashton is probably 10 minutes outside of Ashton. Oh, gotcha. Really close. And Cardiac Canyon is one of those stretches where I was talking about, if you're willing to put in a little bit of sweat, then you can get away from people. And that, that canyon's a good option. But hard-sided boats are not allowed in that canyon. Oh, wow. They don't even allow them. Because there's no boat ramp. The boat ramp, quote unquote, is actually a boat slide. And so you're required to take a raft or some soft boat and you just drag it down the hill. Right. But can't you get, and this isn't the qu- I mean, question because I've drugged plenty of drift boats down hills, slides. Hey, couldn't you just drag your drift boat down? You could. And, you know, I've talked to the guys at Hyde and they said they used to do it all the time. But according to the Forest Service, there's, you know, you're not supposed to do that. There's a sign there that says no hard-sided boats. And, you know, I think most of that is because of the boat, the boat slide there. But also that canyon has a few rapids in it. And, and when the water levels in there go up and down, you're probably going to hit rocks no matter what. So on a raft, it's not that big a deal. In a drift boat, it's pretty abusive to the drift boat. But yeah, that video, which you can see on our YouTube channel, Miller Drift Boats, they go down, they ignore that sign, they take their the drift boat down that hill, and then there's really only one big rapid in there. It's called Surprise Falls. It's a super easy rapid to shoot through as long as you know where it's at and which way to hit it. But right after that rapid, there's a rock that if the water's at the right level, it's going to cause you issues. And that's what happened to those guys. They got stuck on that rock, swamped the boat. And then I think it was there for three days before they finally got it off. Yeah. Yeah. And that was funny watching the video because they set up a series of ropes and yeah. pulleys and guys were floating down the river. And yeah. Yeah. But they, fi- they finally got it. And it was still, that's amazing, right? They flipped it. And it was still, and the guy actually got in the boat with the oar. Yeah. And rode it to shore like a like a madman. It's pretty pretty uh, <laughs> good video. Yeah, that was that was probably you know a little more thrilling than they wanted. But wow, God, I mean, I've been in a couple of situations. I remember I had this old um, God. What kind of boat was it? Aluminum. It was probably a boat made in the eighties. I can't remember the brand, but I was on the Deschutes floating through one of the big rapids in White Horse. And I had my dad and, uh, and Russ in the boat and we hit this, the first top of the rapid. This is kind of like a class four. And I just, we had a ton of weight in the boat and I took a wave like over the side and over the front and it it put about maybe two feet of water in the boat. So we were (laughs) instantly, and I was was swamping and, you know, this is like five day trips. I was just doing all I could to get to shore, trying to row that thing before we hit the next big rapid, which was going to basically, we would have sunk it. And I managed to do it. You know what I mean? And then after that, mm-hmm. like the next weekend I bought a new boat. I was like, all right, forget about that old crappy design. Do you feel like, I feel like that was the old design. Do you think these drift boats nowadays are, have mastered the design or do you think there's room for tweaking 
the design. I'm not, I mean, I know you're not with Hyde, but do you feel like, do you see Hyde coming out with new models, new designs, things like that? You know, I guess I don't because as far as drift boats go, I don't, I don't see anything that I can even complain about in a Hyde. And if I'm trying to go somewhere crazy, right, there's other watercraft that I would take instead. So as far as the drift boats go, I feel like they're maxed out. But if I'm trying to, so for example, I had a customer that came and they wanted to float the upper section, uh, you know, above Mesa Falls, which you're not going to find much about that online because hardly anyone does it. Sheep Falls is there, which is just a big waterfall. It's not as big as Mesa Falls. How big is it? Are, and are, did those guys in the drift boat that dumped, did they go over Mesa Falls? No, no. no. Okay. Mesa Falls. Have you seen Mesa Falls before? No. Okay. No. So that's like a, I want to say it's like a hundred foot waterfall. Oh, wow. Big fall. Yeah. Big deal. So, so, and actually Mesa Falls is the divider between uh, where Browns live in Henry's Fork and where they don't. Oh, I'm looking at it now online. Yeah. It's mass. It's amazing. Yeah. This is your typical low Mesa Falls. Yep. This look, this is Yellowstone. This looks like this yeah, is, yeah, this exactly. is really cool. Right. Wow. But, uh, Above that section, there's, or above Mesa Falls, you can get into some pretty crazy white water. And so I had some guys show up and they're like, hey, we're going to go float above Mesa Falls and get out when we get to Mesa Falls. And it was a guy that had rented from me a few times. And I said, I mean, okay, like you, you do you, you know, you're responsible for the raft. So just, you know, take care of yourselves up there. But, but I just posted that, the pictures of that that they took on my Instagram. Cause that is a crazy float that they did. Oh, no kidding. And in, in the rafter, it was a raft, yeah. not drift. Well, they took yeah. two rafts and I think they only went down with one of them, but you can see that the raft just disappears into the water and they caught, you know, awesome fish in there because they're willing to, to go the extra mile. And I, I'm fairly confident they saw no one else in that whole stretch waiting or, fishing from a boat right did you do you do if people come in do you ever take people out on like a section and teach them like if they're brand new to drift boating like that sort of thing or you consider yourself like a master oarsman i don't know if i consider myself a master oarsman i mean i've rowed quite a bit of white water and i think what would make you a master oarsman is one hours of experience but also getting into sketchy situations which that part i feel like i have done like when I was in my early twenties, I swamped a canoe and almost killed a few of my friends when mm. the log jam. Oh wow! So, so things like that have you know taught me to not. Well, they've taught me to read the river better and to to be more cautious. And so, I guess no, I'm not a master oarsman yet because yeah, you're not taking people out. You're teaching them step by one hundred and one well, drift boat rowing. I do try and teach people as much as I can, but Idaho is very strict on what you can and cannot do commercially on the river. And for me to be on the river teaching somebody and getting paid for that, you have to be an outfitter with the state and they're not giving those out very readily. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, what would be your, you know, just on this podcast here, if, if you were able to do that, would you have some tips? What would you be telling somebody? Or even if you tell them, what are your tips like boating to, for safety, getting down the river? Sure. Yeah. What, what would you tell somebody? So the first thing I tell people is that if you're the, in the rowing seat, 
you need to be more worried about the people in your boat than the fish. So if somebody catches a fish, a lot of times it's distracting and you're looking around and thinking like, oh, well, we really want to get this fish in the boat. We can't lose this fish or whatever. And so they're looking at the angler, they're looking at the fish and they're not looking down river. And that can cause problems sometimes. There was a time my, my friend, I wasn't there, unfortunately, but this exact thing happened. And so they're floating down the river. Everyone is looking at the fish because it was a big fish and they're floating down and they hit a rock and the rock, you know, the rocks in the river, they don't move. The drift boat does move. So they just came to a screeching halt, and the guy that was fighting the fish just launched out of the boat and into the water. Oh, wow. And so, and luckily it wasn't very deep and, you know, he was fine, but yeah. But, you know, I tell people that story so that they just pay attention. They look down the river and look at where they're going. The second thing I tell them is look at the danger, point your nose towards the danger and row backwards away from it. Because for whatever reason, I have such a hard time convincing people that when you're rowing backwards, you're stronger and faster than if you're pushing the oars. Yeah. For whatever reason, everyone wants to push the oars and like they're running away from the danger. You just got to pull away from it and it goes a lot better. Yeah, that's right. That's, that's a huge tip because, uh, yeah, if you front row, the problem with that is it increases your speed and it, but at back rowing, it actually slows down, gives you more time to react and get away from yeah. it. Right. Yeah. So always point the bow down the river, row backwards away from things and then pay attention. And then the third thing that, especially this year, I've had to tell a lot of people is when you drop the anchor, make sure it's not in fast, deep water with big rocks. Yeah. Cause I think a lot of people think that the anchor is much more effective than it is. They think wherever I drop the anchor, I'm going to stop immediately. Right. And it'll be really easy to move again. And so we've lost a, quite a few anchors where people just drop them and it gets stuck between two rocks and then they either have to cut the rope or let the anchor go. And so we've had to replace anchors that way. But I, those are my tips. And then of course, you know, wear a life jacket. Yeah. The life jacket, that was something that, you know, the life jacket is tough because especially with the life jacket, right? It's uh, kind of cumbersome. Do people, do you ever recommend, I used to have one of those life jackets that was, you pull the thing and it self-inflates. So yeah. you almost don't notice it. Are those still good to use? Yeah. Just for smaller, right? You wouldn't want to take that on a class four or something, but just floating down the, like a, a calm section. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great thing to have. What I do is, so my fishing vest is actually a life jacket. Oh yeah. So, so I have that on whether I'm waiting or Yeah. Is that the NRS? Is that the NRS life jacket? Uh yeah, I think NRS has one. I'm not, yeah, I'm they have a that's I'm right. Had it forever, but that's that's a good move. But yeah, those those CO2 inflatable life jackets are good too. Yeah, I'm looking at it now. It's called the uh NRS Matik. Matik inflate at least that's one of them. Yeah. Pretty sweet. Yeah, they're super low pro and NRS has great stuff, so I'll have to look into that one. Um, good. And you, the anchor too, I want to remind on the anchor, that was another cool feature The it's got, I mean, really basic, but it's got a cool little, you pop the anchor off when you're done at the end of the day. And there's a little anchor mount on the side of the, of the tra trailer, right? That's what most of them have. Yeah. So all of our drift boat trailers have the anchor nest because we don't want people driving around with the anchor in the boat. When you hit a bump that if you have a 30 pound steel anchor bouncing around your boat, you're going to damage the boat. And I know I just got done saying about how tough those are, but a 30 pound steel anchor can do some damage if you're going down a bouncy dirt road. Yeah. 
Well, and that anchor too you have is not, I've used the, the, the diamond or the triangle anchors, you uh -huh. know, but this one you have is a, it's got like four, uh, metal. It's, it's a super sticky. That was the one nice thing about that anchor is that when we did put it down on a normal section, it stuck for the most part, yeah. right? Because yeah. it, it, it digs down into the, the river bottom. Yeah. They're pretty effective when, when it's not super fast water, that's ultra rocky at the bottom. Or, you know, sometimes you drop it in that fast rocky section and it sticks too well, goes between two rocks into a hole and you never see it again. Yeah. That's the problem. That is, that's the one thing when I first saw that anchor, I was thinking I could see this thing getting stuck pretty, pretty easy. Yeah. But no, it, it never got stuck. We never had a problem. I, it was great. Uh, what about the, um, just kind of going off on a tangent here, sure. uh, the tornado anchor. Have you seen the, heard about the tornado anchor? Yeah. Yeah. I'm familiar with them. I haven't used one, but some like, so a lot of my customers surprisingly have their own drift boats and they just don't drive from wherever they come from. So so I've had people talk about like, yeah, well, I have a tornado and I think for the most part, it's just as, it's not any more effective than the, the spike anchor. No, I, I wouldn't think so because the spike has the same thing. It digs in. That's why the tornado anchor, the same idea. I think it digs in a little bit, but cool. Okay. So, and that makes sense with people coming up driving. I could, same thing for me when I was coming up. You know, I could have taken my drift boat all the mm -hmm. way out from where I was coming from, but I was like, man, do I want to pull a boat for 12 hours? Yeah. You, know, you got just the hassle of the boat, you got the gas mileage, everything. And that's why, and plus I was really excited about trying out the height, the hide boat, you know what I mean? And yeah. the whole thing. So uh, nice. Well, anything else we want to know about, you know, your, your boat, um, the boats, what you do, anything we've missed here? I would just say if, if you're planning a trip to come fish, East Idaho or the Madison, give me a call because I can help you figure out what you want. If you already know what you want, that's great. But if you're thinking, man, I really want to get away from people, I definitely have some recommendations on that. If you're thinking, I really want to catch a big fish and that's all I care about, I have some recommendations there too. And so I feel a lot of people, they show up and they, they don't, haven't planned that well. And so they think, oh, well, I'm just going to go fish this section that everyone else fishes which is fine. I mean, there's no bad fishing on Henry's Fork, but there are definitely places. It It's a diverse place to fish. And so if you have something specific in, in mind, just let me know and I'll, I'll give you some recommendations. Perfect. That's good. So, so I want to uh, take it out of here uh, kind of quickly with our, um, I was just going to do a shout out to one of our kind of local, this is like our fly shop, fly shop Friday shout out segment. This is presented by uh, Yellowstone Teton territory, which is obviously, I'm sure you're aware of that area. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, we've, we've been, that was part of our trip. We were helping to, uh, you know, get the word out on some of the great brands and, and we've talked about some of them today. I mean, Hyatt is a great brand out of that part of the, the world. So um, if anybody want to check, wants to check out more of this wetflyswing.com slash Teton, uh, check out what they have, all some other brands. But for you, let's give us, let's start with the fly shop. Who is uh, the, your local closest fly shop? Give a shout out there and let's start with that. And then we'll, we'll take us through a couple other rapid fire questions. Sure. I would say Jimmy's, which is. Oh yeah. Jimmy's. Now Jimmy's fly fish food. Yes. Yeah, did they change the name? Is it Jimmy's fly fish food? Yeah. So fly fish food bought it because Jimmy retired. And yep. so, yeah, now I think it's, it's fly fish food at Jimmy's, I believe. Fly fish food at Jimmy's. There you go. 
That's good. All right. So Jimmy's, yeah, and he's another person I've been wanting to connect with. So Jimmy's is, uh, it used to be uh, Jimmy's all season anglers, right? Correct. Yeah. And that was awesome because, you know, Jimmy's kind of like a local legend, but there again, you can just walk in the fly shop and he'll be in there ready to help you find what you're looking for, but also just, you know, tell you, hey, this is what you should use and then tell you stories as well. Right. And where is Jimmy's? What town is Jimmy's in? It's in Idaho Falls. Yeah, Idaho Falls. Idaho Falls. Yeah, perfect. And and is Jimmy, is he going to still stick around? Is he there now? Can people still meet up with him at the shop? That's a good question. I haven't seen him there lately, but but I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. I know uh, Mike Lawson, you know, we've had him on a couple times. I know that yeah. he sold his shop I like 20 years ago, quite a while ago, and he still, you know, is connected. So it's, I'm guessing Jimmy yeah. might still have a connection, but you never know, right? Well, I mean, if you own a fly shop, who would ever want to totally step out of that? Cause it's too much fun. I know. Yeah. That, that would be hard to step out of for sure. Um, okay. So, so good. So let's go a couple rapid fire here and we'll take it out of here. Um, we haven't talked Stillwater at all. Are these boats, do people ever take these hides out on, you know, Henry's Lake or any of the Stillwaters around there? Yeah. Yeah. All the time. And we have some boats that have a motor mount too. I don't provide motors, but if somebody wants to bring a trolling motor and put it on there, then yeah, they can go to around Henry's Fork called, or sorry, Henry's Lake all day long. Okay. Yeah. Henry's Lake. And do you, are you a still, do you fish still waters as well? Or are you more rivers and streams? You no, know, I grew up fishing still water for Northern Pike all the time. And so when I moved out here, I was, I was kind of confused. Like, how do I fish a river? And now I fish rivers so much that when I go fish still water, it's hard for me to pick it apart and, you know, find structure and think like, oh, well, this is where the fish are. But I do fish Henry's Lake once in a while, but for probably 95% of my fishing, I'm doing river fishing rather than still water. Yeah. River fishing. Okay. Perfect. And so if somebody is coming up to that area, they have a full day on the water and they want to go get some food, where, where would you reckon you got a spot, like some good food around your area that people uh, should check out? Yeah. Well... It's a good question. So I'm actually helping to start a new restaurant that's oh, wow. going to be right off the banks of the South Fork. Nice. And so that's that's called the Farmhouse Table at 7 and 9. So you'll definitely want to check that one out. Cause yeah, when's that going to be open? That's opening in January. So by the time fishing season rolls around, we'll be, we'll be going strong. Right on. Other than that, let's see. Smoking Fins in Idaho Falls is pretty good. Okay. Yeah. I wish I had some better recommendations. Yeah. That's good. No, that's great. I get, I, we got a couple. Where our shop was last year in Rexburg, Rexburg doesn't have a ton of restaurants. And so when people ask, oh, okay, I'll say this. If you want good pizza, Righteous Slice in Rexburg is definitely the best pizza around. Oh, good. Righteous Slice. Yeah. That is perfect. Yeah. I think who doesn't love a piece of pizza, especially after a day on the water. So, okay. Right. So we got righteous slice and then you're in the, the, what was it called? The farmhouse table. Yep. Perfect. Is that going to be kind of like a, um, farm to, or, yeah, I guess farm to table or sort of thing Like you're actually a lot of yeah. goal. Yeah. All that. Yeah. We're, our goal is to source most of the food, if not all of it locally in Idaho. But of course there's some things you can't get like oranges don't grow in Idaho. So that's not going to work, but yeah, as much as we can, we want to get our food from Idaho okay. and then, and then actually we'll, we'll have drift boats right there on site as well. If people want to go fishing. Okay. And what about, uh, what about local fun? What do you do for, you know, if you're not in the drift boat working, do you have any, you know, kind of uh, 
pastimes or anything you enjoy doing outside of this? Uh, me personally, if I'm not fishing, then I'm probably hunting. And if I'm not hunting, then I'm probably playing hockey. Oh, hockey. Yeah. So, I mean, we have to do what we can to survive the winter in Idaho, especially if it's too cold to fish. And hockey is what does that for me. But Idaho has just endless things to do. I mean, skiing. I used to think that, man, I'm glad when the summer and fall end so that I can stop fishing and ski. Now I kind of still wish I was fishing, but I still like skiing as well. Yeah, you guys have some good skiing and really, yeah, all that outdoor winter stuff, right? You got it nailed, yeah. the ATV or whatever, the, all that stuff is is there. Nice. So, okay, good. So we got hockey and hockey. I just recently went to a hockey game. It had been a long time. I went to a professional hockey game up in Seattle. Oh, nice. And it was really cool in person, like way better. And that's probably everything in person is better, <laughs> yeah. but it was really cool. To, even though we were kind of up high, we still uh -huh. had great great see great visibility and stuff but what, what now in hockey in idaho is this a big thing are there lots of are there college is are there any like semi-pro or what do you have there so i think idaho falls just got a hockey team but it's definitely not as big of a deal as it was in in south dakota where i grew up you know being so close to minnesota and canada where hockey is a huge deal but you know that's because they don't have mountains to ski in my opinion yeah not as much to do Right. It's just flat and it's snowy and colder. So right. I play hockey, but yeah, I think hockey is one of those underrated sports as far as watching and playing. And so, you know, just like the underrated sections of the river that people never fish, I'll do my best to get people doing that because I feel like it will make their lives better, but same thing with hockey. Yeah. Perfect. So, so hockey, Hockey is awesome. And, uh, and so give us one, this is the final one to take us out of here. I always go into the music or podcast. Do you, do you listen to more music or podcasts or how does that look for you? A mix of both. So I guess it's probably pretty even for podcasts. I really like the meat eater podcast. Yeah. Cause yep. those guys are located in, uh, Montana. And so, Oh yeah. And they have a ton of different podcasts, right? In that network. Yeah. They, yeah. They've got a few, but you know, they'll come down and fish the, uh, the South Fork in one of, in one of the mediator videos, they actually do that. And so oh, they did. Kind of yeah. And I, I was talking to their, uh, their director of fishing a while ago and trying to get him to do, come down and do a show about this salmon fly hatch on Henry's Fork. But so far, no luck on that. Not yet. What if you look at your feed and your podcast, do you have, what would be the last five podcasts you listen to? Or, or, or a few, what, what would those look like? Sure. So, I mean, obviously wet fly swing. Oh, there you gonna, go. <laughs> be on the list. Cause that's a great podcast. Nice. Let's see. And then also the meat eater podcast. Other than that, I listen to some religious podcasts. Oh, nice. So, so that's mostly, so you listen to either kind of uh, outdoor religious podcast. You don't have like business podcasts. Have you haven't dug into any of that stuff yet? Well, no, that's okay. So, how I started this. Have you heard of that podcast? Oh no, no, I haven't. How, Oh, maybe I have how I started this. Okay. How I started this. So it's just stories of entrepreneurs. Oh yeah. That's, I have heard of that. That's a good one, right? Yeah. That's probably my go-to business podcast. Oh, good. Good, good. Yeah. I like that. This is great. I always, I always love getting like scratching my own itch. Cause I'm a big, obviously podcast. I love listening yeah. to you, you new one. So I'll re I'll check that one out as well. And, uh, and so give us some music. So something to put into the show notes or on Instagram 
you know, what would be something you'd be listening to on the river? You're on your way back from a big trip. What's on what, you know, one song, one group, what would you put on there? Okay. Let's see. Well, let me go to my playlist real quick that I've been. Are you on Spotify or Apple or how do you do your playlist? Yeah, I do Spotify. Okay. So white horse by Chris Stapleton. Oh yeah. So sometimes, so like last weekend when I was coming back from the South Fork, I was just blasting that song on the way back. Nice. Because we were pretty amped up, right? I took my father-in-law out, and he likes to fish, but I think he mostly does it so that we can hang out, which, you know, I'm all for that. But anyway, I caught probably a three-pound, 20-inch rainbow, which I was pretty happy about, but he caught a 22-inch brown. And so, so, you know, for a little four-hour float in November where we weren't, you know, working super hard we were pretty stoked so yeah i was blasting that song when we came back perfect other than that i'm also kind of like a the old school country fan and so i don't know if you know the song i am a man of constant sorrow oh yeah johnny cash right or well he sang it but well yeah i think it was johnny cash but then it was also in the movie oh yeah i know what you're talking about the what's that movie called yeah with what's his name the 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 Oh, brother, where are you? Yeah, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. With I'm, I'm always thinking George Clooney. George Clooney. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, so this is good. We're getting some bonus stuff, and I'm going to throw in an extra bonus for everybody listening. I recently found uh, the Broken Record podcast, which is um, which is all about music, and what they do is um, I'm not sure if it's a new. I just started listening to it, but I listened to the Rick Rubin episode, and Rick Rubin is the guy who produced Johnny Cash's last five albums. You know, Air American Recordings before he passed away, and the Chili Peppers and the Beastie Boys. Rick Rubin's a huge guy, but in that episode, he just reminded me how good those Johnny Cash uh, records were. So if anybody yeah. hasn't heard those American recordings, like one through five, and I've been trying to play a little bit of it on, on the guitar, you know what I mean? I'm, but uh, but so I always say, so I've been listening to a lot of that recently. So not just old Johnny Cash, but new. His, you, do you remember those? Did you ever listen to any of those records? I mean, I listened to most of the popular Johnny Cash stuff, which I probably learned from my dad, but. Yeah, you should check out if you haven't checked out, um, just type in Johnny Cash American Recordings and there'll be five discs, but especially one through four are crazy. He basically, Johnny Cash covers with the acoustic guitar a bunch of other bands like um, Soundgarden and, and, and does it in his own way. It's, okay. uh, yeah, it's pretty amazing. But so anyways, okay, so we got our music fixed. This was like a bonus. We got a bonus music and yeah. podcast, uh, which is always good. So, all right, Sam, well, I'll let you get out of here. We will send everybody out to millerdriftboats.com if they have questions or want to you know pick up a boat or a raft and uh, yeah man until uh, we talk again just thanks for, again for letting me get that boat on the water and looking forward to keeping in touch with you absolutely thanks for having me dave that's a wrap on travel part of the wet fly swing podcast and swing outdoors this podcast was supported by eastern idaho's yellowstone teton territory you can support this podcast in Eastern Idaho by heading over to wetflyswing.com slash Teton right now. And you can let any of the brands know that you found them through this podcast and click in there and check out all the great brands. We've had a number of them on this podcast and, uh, and we would love you to find out all the good stuff they have going. You can also check in with me anytime, Dave at wetflyswing.com if you have any questions or feedback or have an idea of where we should be traveling to next. And one big reminder before we get out of here, the Stillwater School is going right now. If you go to wetflyswing.com slash Stillwater School, you can find out if we have any slots available for the big trip out to this part of Eastern Idaho. 
Phil Roy is going to be our guru. He's going to be breaking out the Stillwater magic. And if you wanted to up your game this year, this is your best chance right now. You can check in there or send me an email. Like I said, Dave at wetflyswing.com. And as we roll out of here, I just want to thank you for taking the time today to check out the Traveled Podcast. And I appreciate you for your support and all the listens here. And I hope you have a chance to experience that road less traveled.